0: So with the outcome of the 2017 NBA Finals, I have a lot of questions. I I hope to have a lot of answers. That was Radio Shack slogan, wasn't it? (laughs) Was it really? (laughs) Didn't somebody have a a slogan where it's, you got questions, we got answers?
1: Oh man, you might be right. Or that wasn't Best Buy, was it? No. Did Best Buy ever have a tagline? (laughs) Who had, you got it, we get it? Wasn't that like CompUSA?
0: Maybe. We're like thirteen or Maybe seconds. Circuit oh, City. No, this, we're, all right. This is already off. No, okay. Get back on schedule. Yeah, we'll we'll cut we'll cut all this out. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was the game was Monday or Sunday, <laughs> the, the basketball game. Yes, that was Monday. Okay, it was pretty pretty memorable. Yeah, game three or game four was kind of a, a little bit of a stinker, but no, that that was pretty good. So I, I have questions because I'm not a big basketball follower as to what happens. What is the outcome of the NBA Finals? because i saw they kept playing this ad every like fourth commercial where some older gentleman would say if you don't get a ring you're nothing or something
1: that's a are you are you asking like in in a kind of like an existential way no
0: like what what is i know like in in baseball like everybody gets like a world series ring and they get they get that fancy trophy that's got all the the different pennants around it uh but what do you get in the nba for winning
1: the same a ring you you, you kind of get that in all the all the major sports but they don't have an iconic uh trophy do they uh the larry o'brien trophy is it's not nearly as iconic as the world series trophy or the stanley cup but it's i don't know i i i I recognize it i feel like most casual sports fans would so like will it be on display at oracle arena for like the one more year it's open? Sure. Okay. It's not, well, so it's also not like, so the Stanley Cup is a, like, singular thing. Um, and I, well, no, and I think the other three major sports, the trophies are not that way. Like, where if you go into, like, AT&T Park, there are three World Series trophies. Wait, so with the, so you're only renting the Stanley Cup?
0: Like, you have to give it back? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like Netflix? Wait. Mm-mm. No, but Sure. Well, you don't get to keep it. That's the, what, what kind of what is that? What happens if the team damages it or breaks it or something happens to it? <laughs> I'm not. That is not even a joke. How does how
1: does that work? I presumably it would be repaired. I don't know. So, what if you break it in the middle of the season? Do they replace it for you during the season? I believe it goes back to the league. Wait, they take it away at the start of the season? I'm not sure about that. Okay,
0: we need we need an NHL expert on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's Gordy Howe? <laughs> He and Wayne Gretzky are the only uh, two hockey players I know. Okay. Uh, I had more questions. So I was reading an article, and this is based off an MG Siegler tweet earlier today. Oh, good. <laughs> but I did not understand how much NBA players get play- uh, get paid, because there were some numbers projected out of like what the new contracts would be or like what it's going to take to get some free agents onto the regular team i don't know what that means i don't know what the term is when you're actually like a player on a team but do nba players really make 40 million dollars a year so the
1: nba is i mean so the answer is yes um that's a half million dollar a game right yeah the the nba so they signed a new tv contract uh before the start of last season and so the, the way that the salary cap works is that there's a, there's a salary cap that teams have to adhere to, and it's directly tied to the amount of revenue that the league brings in. And by far and away, the biggest component of that is the TV rights. And so when the NBA signed this new TV deal, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the show when, they, when that went through. What that did was it caused this huge increase in the amount of money that each team could spend. And that that was, that was played a major part into why Kevin Durant could even sign with the Warriors in the first place. And so, um, you know, Kevin Durant's now a max player. You've got Curry. He's a, he's a what now? A max player. So there's the salary cap, and then each individual player can also only have a certain percentage of that cap.
0: What is that percentage? Do you know? Or do you it
1: varies. Know? It varies by bunch of different criteria i believe the most important of which is the number of years you've been playing in the league got it so you know the warriors have four really good players and so you know just between curry durant thompson and draymond you know that's you're talking about a huge sum of money and then there's still you know 11 other roster spots that need to be filled out
0: I don't know why that seems like a lot of money, but because don't they usually sign players for multiple years? So doesn't that mean like a single four-year contract could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars?
1: Right. hmm So I think the the max, the, the most a contract could be now, contracts can also only be up to five years, and you can only sign a five-year contract if you're re-signing with your current team. If you go anywhere else, you can only sign a four-year contract, but if you sign that max five year contract. I think now with the way the cap's gone up and with the new collective bargaining agreement, uh some players are eligible for uh it's like a two hundred and ten-ish million dollar contract over five years. That seems insane. hmm Okay. And then
0: going off of that, I was talking to my friend Bill Simmons and he floated the idea that Steph Curry should take a one dollar salary and like pull a Steve Jobs and just make money off endorsements. Is that legal, or is that a thing that would ever happen?
1: It's not illegal, but no, that's not a thing that would ever happen. Although what does happen is, and this is what's rumored to be um, in the works with Kevin Durant, is if Durant takes slightly less money than what he could technically get, so I think the number is like 3 or $4 million less than the maximum contract he could sign, it gives the Warriors a lot more flexibility with signing other players. And so he's indicated that he's willing to do that.
0: This seems more complicated than I would have thought it would have been.
1: The the salary cap in the NBA is really complicated. I mean, we haven't even gotten into... So one one of the things that makes the Warriors possible, so I mentioned the, the increase in the cap allowed them to bring on Durant. But another component that's really important with them is their other three big stars, Curry, Thompson, and Green, are all players that they drafted. And so what that means is that after a certain period of time being on the same team, you have that player's what's called bird rights. This is named after Larry Bird. And what that means is that when you sign them to a new contract, their contract actually doesn't count against your cap. So for example, when Curry signs his new big contract, even though it's $35 million a year, that's not going to count against the Warriors cap. Now, it does go into the calculation of how much taxes the Warriors are going to have to pay, which is the number that they go over the cap. So it, it does factor into that number, but in terms of being able to sign all these other players, they can do that in large part because Curry's number isn't counting towards the actual like salary cap itself. It's, it's, it's crazy. There's mid-level exceptions and veteran minimums, and I mean, there's all kinds of crazy Cap stuff. I mean, teams have entire staffs of people who um, assist, you know, generally like the the general manager in just making sure that they're following all the the cap rules. That was a surprisingly cogent explanation
0: of something that seems extremely complicated.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: Because yeah, I'm looking at this uh, proposed or prospective uh, team like salary like listing. So is that what Bird? Non-bird and early bird mean? That's right. Mm-hmm. What does early bird imply in this scenario? I that I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> Partial tax bid level. But yeah, this sounds way. Maybe this is why Ben Thompson likes CNBA so much.
1: Um, I mean there there are there are certainly people who uh, I would say find maybe the business side of the sport even more interesting than the sport itself, and I. I wouldn't consider myself one of those people, but I, I could definitely see it because it is, it is pretty interesting.
0: And lastly on this, how does, so is the salary cap the same for every team?
1: Yes. And what is that total cap? Do you estimate? I think for next season, it's around 110 million. Wait, so then how on earth can, Oh, okay. I guess it's the bird spots. That so, are yeah. Alive. It's so exact. So, I mean, if two players are getting paid 40 million a piece, like that, It seems like everybody's getting peanuts. That's right. So that's why teams with these salary cap rules, they they can't just go out and sign a bunch of high-dollar free agents. But the Warriors – and this was a point I brought up last week or the week before when I was kind of saying why I think the Warriors are a little different is because they've drafted a lot of their own guys and they've developed these guys. And you know, in addition to just being able to benefit from the talent those guys bring, there's also a huge financial benefit as well where – down the road when these guys start signing these big contracts, because they're, you, you know, the player that you draft and they have been with you for a certain period of time, their, their salaries don't count against the cap, which then allows you to go out and, you know, get guys like Kevin Durant. And is this what the Lakers are trying to do? They're just not
0: successful at it. Or is that a miscarriage? No, no, yeah, to-
1: totally. No, that's exactly what the Lakers are trying to do. they you know, the other side of the NBA, the other big side of the NBA is the draft. And as we've also discussed on the show, you know, the league's got this kind of weird system where it's kind of a race to the bottom where the teams with the worst record have the best odds at getting a higher draft pick um, in that year's draft. And because the Lakers have been so awful the last few years, they've gotten really high draft picks. And so they've got a handful of young promising players who haven't, you know, really taken that next step yet, but who over time the Lakers, you know, They hope that they will. Interesting.
0: Okay. Well, congratulations to the...
1: How many more years do they have in Oakland? One more season? I think the Chase Arena is supposed to open for the 20... I think it's the 2019-2020 season. So they might have two more years in Oakland. And are they going to stay the Golden State
0: Warriors, or are they going to do some BS name change and become the San Francisco Warriors? I I haven't heard
1: any discussion about that. I'd assume they'd stay Golden State, but uh, that's a that's a fair question. Now we can all focus on
0: baseball, except we <laughs> yeah, might not want
1: uh-huh. to. Oh man, I
0: haven't Oof. looked at the I haven't because here's the thing: it the the giant I I I love the Giants and I and I enjoy baseball even when it's not that interesting. But it's it's just it's not appointment TV when it's just not fun to because they're just not winning at all like it's not even close a lot of the time
1: so I, I went to i went to my first game of the season in person uh this last weekend and so one of the things that at&t park does and i I think a lot of stadiums do this the 200th so, sellout in a row or whatever oh they they did do that which which we got a kick out of which so normally for saturday afternoon tickets, i assume what's that
0: the, the only way they can say that is because they're counting season tickets right oh
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah, you know, we we went to a Saturday afternoon game, which usually those are pretty um expensive. Um and 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 you know, pretty legitimately like sold out. But like we bought tickets a couple nights before for a very affordable price and particularly yep in the upper deck where we were sitting, it was nowhere near at full capacity. Uh but anyway, what I was saying was they have this thing in in center field where they they have the flags of each team in the National League West, and mm-hmm. they rank them based on their actual standing. And so there's just this constant reminder that the you know the Giants are are at the bottom. Do they move it like further away to to fully illustrate how bad the situation is? <laughs> to to, see, to see, right, they should. They should because man, the Giants are just they're a, just a billion games out. It sounds like the Giants are
0: getting tired of winning. Maybe. so much. With, with, they had so much winning that everybody got tired of winning.
1: Well, one of their primary colors is orange, so...
0: Oh, no. You're going to ruin it. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> I was just uh, straddling the line. <laughs> oh, you... Oh. The Giants are now, just to bring you further down, um, the Giants are now 15 and a half games out of first place in the NL West and is it still the Rockies that are on top or is the it Diamondbacks? Uh the it's it was, so it's really close at the top. So the the Dodgers, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are all within a half game of each other. And they're all around like 550 or 600. Uh yeah, they're all they, they're all above 600. Yikes. Um and the Giants just poking around here. So the Giants have the second worst record in the league. They're 26 and 41 and the Philadelphia Phillies are 21 <laughs> and 43. <laughs> <laughs> Man,
0: all right, we're gonna move off sports. Um, uh-huh. I'm going next Saturday, and 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 I hope to. Um, I hope it's not very well attended because I enjoy the ballpark, but I but I don't like it when there are too many people there.
1: It's a it, it's a wonderful ballpark. It really is the the food, just the the general atmosphere. Of course, the the location, <laughs> the eleven dollar Costco hot dog, and
0: <laughs> that's the part that kills me.
1: I. Uh, yeah, we spent without question spent more on food uh, at the game than we did on our tickets. Yeah, and of course they and of course they lost. <laughs> oh, most definitely. They're playing the Twins, or who were they playing? It was the, the Twins. It, it was a good game. It was three to two, and it was it was close throughout. So you know, I think the following day it was like thirteen to six. But yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, that's an odd year. Yeah, both in number and in tone but we've been working on that one all week yeah
0: yeah uh where are we gonna go with this um <laughs> i'm all out of sorts because there's there's a couple of big things we're gonna talk about today that just kind of are are you always use that term that are in our wheelhouse but i'm trying i'm trying to delay it because i i always enjoy the the messing around part of this show uh-huh. do you want to, real quick because this doesn't really fit anywhere there was that thing about the um there's a new book, I forget what it's called. The one where it's kind of like a a not so polite account of like the origin story of the iPhone or something.
1: Oh yeah, we put um we put a thing in the thing about that. Um yeah, no this is the the one device, the secret history of the iPhone. Yeah, so is this out yet or not yet? It is coming out in I believe about 2 weeks. I'm in real time here pulling this up on uh the online bookstore, amazon.com. Uh, yeah, so fourteen ninety nine on Kindle, can be auto-delivered on June 20th. So, so in, in a week. So, it seems like, it, so much of it is, so they, they interviewed a lot of people who
0: are not necessarily, or they, they've had history with Apple, but maybe aren't still with them and, and not maybe in that, having that favorable opinion of Apple. So there's, um, Tony Fadell, who went over to Nest and now Google, is that right? Yes. And then, did they interview uh, who? Who's the guy who started WebOS and defected to Palm? Oh, It's not um, Andy Rubin. It's it's the other guy.
1: Oh, no, Rubin was the one I was going to think of. There, think there was there more than one. Is
0: it John Rubinstein? Is that a name?
1: Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right.
0: Wait, I I don't think I actually don't think that is right. I think his the last name is right, but. Uh, iPod Rubenstein, you can you can cut this out. Yeah, we'll we'll cut all cut all this out. Yeah. Oh, it's John Rubenstein without the H, because I got some, some doctor from UCSF and Google. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, so yeah, it seems like it's it. I don't know. It's it's these are always like there's always some like book that comes out every two years. It's supposed to be some expose on something. And there, and there was that like dumb movie that was supposed to be like the alternative to all the Steve Jobs movie that like wasn't it called like the Ghost in the Machine or something. i I don't remember yeah i don't know there's always this ridiculous stuff but anyway the the only reason i bring this up is to talk about one of my favorite uh craig Federighi moments uh do you remember the time that he made fun of the skeuomorphic design during the i think it's 2014 or 2013 wwdc i do so what do what do you remember of it and if you can't remember it's okay he definitely made some joke about game center right so he I actually, oh, that's right. He did too. But the, the my main one uh, was that he, he was demoing the new calendar app because I think, I don't know if I forget if this was Mountain Lion or which one it was, but they, it's when they kind of did away with all the the, um, the the forestall, like skeuomorphic design. And um, what was it? Yeah, he said that, uh, like, look at this new calendar app. It's so clean. Even without the stitching, the window stays right there on the screen. <laughs> it's engineering. I don't know how he did it. So, I I like the the non weed jokes on screen. Like the, the some of those are really funny because if you weren't um like clued into the behind the scenes stuff, like that that was a joke that you only you only got.
1: Well, and I I think just to kind of maybe finish that thought and and connect it to last week, you know, I, I think the other thing that Federighi did was so you know he made kind of the dumb weed joke, but it kind of in parallel with that, like as he was introducing the name, you know. He phrased it something along the lines of, you know, our crack marketing team came out with, you know, this like c- creative name, which, you know, is, is kind of a way of saying like, you know, eh, this is kind of a, it's kind of a silly name. Thing. Well, no, wait,
0: wasn't, wasn't that during the talk show? Because I remember that was the, yeah, well, he the did he did, the dur- he, he did it during oh, did the talk both? show
1: too. Yeah. But yeah. he originally, I, I think the thing that he did in the talk show was in reference to what he did during the keynote.
0: That's pretty good. Because yeah, crack marketing team means Schiller and et al. So yeah, that's pretty good.
1: I so I you know I I don't know if you and I have exactly the same feelings around this, but like I'm a I'm a huge uh, fan of folks who are self aware. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's one of the, you know to, to connect this back to the warriors and, and sports, you know, like we do. Uh, that's one of the things that makes Steve Kerr so great. He is so self aware, loves making fun of himself, loves making fun of the team, and that's so that's so rare from particularly coaches in professional sports. And it, you know, executives for big companies, same way. So it's it's really refreshing when you get you get somebody like Federighi or Kerr.
0: Shit, hold on. What what, what was the um? Now I gotta find this quote. Um, but yeah, no, de- definitely hashtag team, team Craig. He he's he's really really he's he's one of my favorite parts of Apple. Um, so this was this one quote from Steve Kerr, and he he's he's the best. I'm glad he got uh well enough to actually be on the sidelines for every uh, finals game. But there was something like where some like older players were saying like, "Oh, how would the the Warriors do against them?" And like his quote was, "Uh, they're they're all correct. They would all kill us. The game gets worse as time goes on. Players are less talented than they used to be. The guys in the fifties would have destroyed everybody. It's weird how human evolution goes in reverse in sports. Players get weaker, smaller, less skilled. I don't know. I can't explain it." Yeah, it's uh, we'll put it. We'll put that in the notes here. It's it's really good. And you, you are welcome to find the actual audio of him doing that and replace it. Because it was it was really good, just because it's it's kind of like because being a coach and being asked the same like ten like ten different versions of the same dumb question during like any playoff games must be super annoying. And th- and that's just uh, it's so it's so fun to hear somebody who is just kind of I don't have time for you, and this is a dumb question, but they do it in a funny way. Right, right. You want to talk about T word stuff? Yeah, we we may as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, Uber or uh, kind of follow out from WWDC first? What do you think?
1: Let, let's do the follow out from WWDC first. Okay. Um, so w- what do you got? Well, so I I don't know. I, I and actually I I did legitimately come up with this idea before this week's episode of Upgrade, which also did kind of the same thing. But sort of just you know you know we get this like flood of news during the keynote and and kind of throughout that first day. But then, you know, a lot of the really interesting stuff actually comes out over the course of the remainder of the week, particularly as developers start downloading the betas and just people start, you know, attending some of the other sessions. So I think it's always kind of neat to circle back, you know, a week later, and maybe we can do this a few weeks down the road as well. And just kind of think about like things that maybe we weren't aware of, you know, as of I guess for us, it was last Wednesday when we recorded um, versus now that a little bit more time has passed.
0: Yeah, because even though it was a longer keynote, there's only so much you can fit in there, and there's yeah other stuff that you don't really glean until until the dust settles. So um, yeah, I mean there, there was that like tidbits article of like new stuff that's in iOS 11. We got to look at some more in depth stuff from like what what how the HomePod is going to work. There was that Tim Cook interview. So there there was a lot of things. Um. So yeah, I mean for me, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting. So there was that uh, Jason Snell article that was in laptop magazine uh that you link to there's actually pretty interesting about kind of like apple's commitment to um whether or not like they think like ios 11 or macOS is kind of going to be the the future where they're doing their most inventive stuff and so it's his thesis that it's it's all around the ipad at least for
1: this like the next couple of years yeah but then you know to to tie it back also to that tim cook interview that you mentioned you know he he very much when asked about steady mac sales and declining ipad sales he spun it spun an answer that was something along the lines of we love both platforms we recognize that there are people who enjoy one or enjoy the other or enjoy both but we see them as being you know basically complementary of one another which is not really the way that that h- they've historically referred to the ipad like i, I get the sense that they're Perhaps it was a period of time when the iPad was first introduced that they saw the iPad as being sort of like the next generation of Mac and eventually replacing the Mac. And as time has gone on, I think they've realized that these two devices, at least for the foreseeable future, are going to actually kind of live live in parallel with each other.
0: But long-term, what do you think they're... Like, if, if they think that their big bet... Actually, I'm not even sure if it's a big bet, but like, if if their renewed commitment to iOS and particularly like the iPad as a as a productivity tool that has more rich features and is is it more comprehensive, do you think like do they do you think that's the strategy for today? And they think that a couple of years down the road, once we're onto iOS 12 and, and like it, the whole ecosystem has matured and people are kind of like, okay,
1: maybe this is a viable tool. Do you think they're going to continue to think that, or they're just going to see how market adoption goes? I think they're just going to see how market adoption goes, but you know, I'll, I'll use the same line I've used at least a few times on the show, which is, if we're really looking at like the long term, the future of computing is neither the Mac or the iPad, it's something else. There's there's always something else, but I think that mm. between the two platforms, you know, the iPad is probably closer to, you know, what we'll have decades from now. Maybe.
0: I still think that there's a distinction without a difference with this kind of stuff like i I think the thing that Jason generally points to and that i that I think Apple says, but they don't actually believe like the whole thing where the Mac is a perpendicular computing experience and and the iPad is very tactile and that kind of stuff like w- with the first party accessories like the the keyboard case and that kind of stuff, I just think that doesn't hold water um so I think that they're not actually that different they're just different approaches to the same problem and i just i i wonder because i I assume there's gonna be more convergence either the mac gets more ios-like or the ipad continues to get more rich mac-like features and as to which is actually the better solution or what customers will adopt i think that that remains to be seen
1: yeah and i I think the updates that we got to the ipad last week are going to be kind of a key initial decider into yeah what direction that's going to go
0: yeah, I, but I so yeah, iOS 11 is is a huge upgrade and um people from the early betas seem to be pretty positive about it. Um other than I mean like it has the usual rough around the edge of stuff like battery life isn't that great and it's like incompatible with a lot of a lot of things and it, it's 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 going to shake out over the next couple of months, but in particular I think one of the biggest positive signs uh for iPad as productivity tool is the fact that there's really great hardware coming behind it in the form of the iPad pro 2017, 10 and inch model.
1: Yeah. So we, we not, should talk not about Not for that.
0: you, but for,
1: for yeah. people. Right. Right. You, but we should, you know, let, let's pause and, and talk about me here for a second. Um, so on the topic of things that we've learned, um, since last week. So I, I stopped by the Apple store on my way home today, uh, because the, the iPad started, uh, coming out, I think yesterday, mm-hmm. sometime this week. And so I got to try one of these 10.5 inch iPads in person. And I mean, the the two things that you're struck by right away is it's, you know, it really does feel the same as a 9.7 inch iPad. I I think it's exactly the same weight and it's only a marginally larger footprint, but in in the hand it feels exactly the same as a 9.7 inch iPad. But you know, the screen clearly looks bigger Um, and the, the bezels really give it the illusion that it, that it looks bigger so it's really just sort of a, a perfect form factor and then the other thing is is promotion i mean you just you just notice it the first time you get to the home screen the first time you swipe to the second screen or you open an app it's it's a it's a really striking effect and it, it looks awesome it's pretty great
0: but i assume it's one of those well actually no i'm lying about that. well actually no I'm, I'm gonna lie to you about that but because i would say it's one of those things where y- if you don't have them side by side you can't really notice but i went home and used my ipad for like a couple minutes because i had to look something up and i didn't want to pull my laptop out of my bag and and yeah y- y- you notice it but the thing is but so you, you you
1: don't have an air 2 you have a pro right right mm-hmm. it's not worth the upgrade no probably not probably not um and you know along the lines of things that i don't really need but found pretty darn cool when i was playing around with it in the store is i actually remember the first time that i tried the apple pencil when the first round of pros came out last year or the year before i actually wasn't super impressed by the apple pencil like i I could v- very clearly see the delay and i didn't i didn't find it to be actually all that responsive Um. But man, the Apple Pencil on these these new Pros, it's it's incredible. To to me, like the way that the way that the pencil works on the new Pros is is kind of how some people described the pencil working on the previous generation. But now, like it, it truly to me does feel like there's absolutely no lag, and it 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 basically just looks and kind of feels like you're just writing on paper, which is a you know something that I don't really have a lot of practical use for, but. Sure, makes a hell of a tech demo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it, it definitely is
0: better. I I generally didn't think the responsiveness was much of an issue on on the current generation pencil or the current generation Pro with the pencil, but no, it is good, and like that is one thing that I think Apple doesn't generally get enough credit for, which is they're very very good at just iterating, like behind your back, like just like in always going to the extremes on what certain maybe not as flashy parts of the technology do, but then when it's all put together, you're like, oh, this is where sweating the small stuff actually matters and creates a better product.
1: Yeah, Tim Tim Cook had a really good, not to just keep referring to that, that interview on Bloomberg, but he had a really good quote in there when he got asked about the idea that there really isn't going to be quantum leaps forward in improvements with the smartphone like if, if the smartphone's already a mature platform and he really pushed back on that and his notion was that well you know maybe you're not going to see like these huge like hardware changes or like obvious changes but behind the scenes you know every year apple's making huge improvements with things that again aren't necessarily like some big obvious hardware difference or like some big consumer facing feature but it's all all of that kind of like under the hood stuff that day in and day out is what really drives the experience and yeah i I think something like the improved pencil responsiveness is is a good example of that yeah
0: i mean and on
1: top of that like if you just think about what they're doing with their own like custom processors
0: or like the a series and just like how insanely fast like the the performance on on whatever it was called the a10x what's what's in the new pro yeah, that's right. The A10X like that. Like if you think about like the Touch ID sensor, where it just it's now like insanely fast. How like with the 5S, just like without anybody even noticing, they went full sixty four bit on like a on a mobile device. Like when they do things like doing an in place upgrade to a brand new file system in like a point release on an on an operating system. Like, there are certain things that at scale Apple does insanely well that they don't get a lot of credit for. And people like me who are crotchety because they they're not getting the the new laptop that they want. Don't give them the credit for.
1: So yeah, I mean they're 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 doing good stuff. So maybe so maybe if rounding out the kind of WWDC follow out. So I think I think it's fair to say that you and and me too have been sort of down on Apple the last call it six to twelve months. Do you do you feel you feel better generally speaking about Apple coming out of WWDC?
0: Uh, uh, um, uh, speaking for my own needs or in general? I mean, maybe speak to both. My own needs, no. But in general, yes, maybe. I don't know. So the, the, I think I haven't organized these points, but I think maybe like, there's like five points. So the fact that the iPad line, one, the fact that they're taking it more seriously, and it, if they're going to pretend. That this is a viable productivity platform they're actually showing that commitment right now which is which is a really promising sign for me it still won't be probably won't be right for me and i'm still going to cling to my mac forever but that that's that also the fact that the ipad line is getting simplified like that there's now there's two sizes of the pro there's one ipad and the mini is very simplified now and is eventually going to die a timely death like that speaks well to doing away with the tim cook strategy of trying to serve every single price point like somebody smart got in his ear and and told him to like knock that off which which i i really really appreciate um i'm like mildly like excited about os 10 high sierra like it, it it seems like it's a good maintenance release like they are doing like under the hood improvements with apfs and that kind of stuff and the fact that they updated even though i don't like the current machines and i'm like I'll, I'll see about the new laptop when it arrives tomorrow but like they they have put the newest intel processors in them which means like it shows that at least they're going to be responsive to iterative improvements from like intel and other people so that you're not paying the same price for 3 year old hardware like a lot of little tweaks that we saw this year are actually things that i think are are very promising for the company so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, For me personally, I'm not sure I'm going to get exactly what I want out of Apple, but I think overall for like the health of the company and maybe putting their focus in the right areas, I think good things are happening.
1: Yeah, I i, I completely agree. i I don't know how much of the iPad stuff, which is clearly where the focus of this show was, I don't know how much of it's really going to apply to me. Um, just as somebody who doesn't really consider the iPad as being a like a primary productivity device, but I'm encouraged that Apple that Apple's putting the focus on that, and I I'm really encouraged I think just in general too about the way that they're talking about the Mac and the iPad, where I think it's super smart to consider them to be complementary platforms, and I think it's really really smart to have the recognition that. For some people, they're just going to want to use one platform. For other people, they're just going to want to use the other platform. And some people, the crazies like you and I want to use both. And that's a a very healthy way, I think, of thinking about the Mac and the iPad. And I think it's a way better approach than something like Microsoft's trying to do, where they're trying to bring everything into one device. I think the, the answer is clearly to keep these devices separate. Take features from one or the other and adapt them to the other platform, sure. But don't try to come out with some all-in-one device that just ends up not being great at anything.
0: Mostly agree. But for the interest of time, I'll let it go.
1: Yeah.
0: You really think the Surface and that kind of stuff has been that much of a failure?
1: I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to classify it as a failure, but... But you think it's the wrong approach? i do okay all right i mean just the the tablet experience on an ipad is better than the tablet experience on a surface and the laptop experience on a mac is better than the laptop experience on a surface Uh, yeah but uh, yeah okay yeah (laughs) yeah but okay that's that's a two-hour conversation so moving
0: on Uh uh-huh did you okay so did you see that thing that some guy posted i'm not sure i actually put this in the thing but um there was someone who did an analysis of uh, this application on the App Store. That's making 80, he estimates makes eighty thousand dollars a month.
1: I think you, I think you did put this in the thing. Yeah. Did you read that we'll, or did you see it or no? We'll, we'll put this in the notes. Right. I saw it, but I, I I didn't read through the whole thing. So a part of iOS eleven and this this will
0: round out the WWDC stuff is that they are redesigning the App Store and trying to do things like separating uh, games from applications to hopefully give apps more of a spotlight and that kind of stuff. But one thing that this, this person brought up was that he was just browsing kind of like the top grossing apps just to see like, well, what, what is making money? And I think it was like number nine or something like that. There was an app called, let me let me load it up, but it was some type of like VPN application or,
1: or something uh, like that. Mobile, mobile protection, clean and security VPN, number number 10 on the list.
0: Uh, but it's even it's even more than that. It's mobile protection space colon no space (laughs) clean and security VPN. Because I think that's like eighty percent of it that that pisses me off. Um, and it's apparently an app that that's sketchy and does almost nothing, and it's just is is complete crap because it's got like in in app ads that for like some scamware, and it probably doesn't do what it is supposed to. And even if it does, you don't want like some sketchy individual running a vpn server to have all your traffic but on top of that like the way it's a free application that has in-app purchases but the in-app purchase is a hundred dollars per week and i guess like just with with any improvements that apple's been making to the developer experience and the developer relations stuff and and app discovery and all those things that they think are important uh worthwhile endeavors to improve the app store and ios as a platform. The fact that stuff like this still gets through the App Store still puzzles me and and for a company that like generally is said to have such like a heavy handed or like iron fist on like App Store economics and that kind of stuff like where they're rejecting apps for like the weirdest like SDK violations or I remember when like PCalc got booted from the App Store cuz it had a widget that had a calculator in it before Apple was ready to say oh widgets can do stuff. Right. Like how does stuff like this exist in the app store? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Cause it seems like it's making a worse experience for everybody because like just in the very nature that with the way sandbox applications and things on iOS work, like it's, it's literally impossible for like virus scanner apps and stuff like that to actually like legitimately do anything. So they're basically ineffective novelty apps. So why does Apple allow this stuff?
1: It's filled. it's a really it, <laughs> it's maybe that should have been Gruber's one more question. Um, it 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 is it's a really good question, and I certainly don't have an answer for it other than just to say that. I mean this this is this is the downside to a walled garden kind of curated system that Apple has. It's it's I think I think it's it's good for lots and lots of reasons, but. It It's never going to be perfect because there's an element of human judgment to it. And there's certainly, there are rules that, that Apple follows, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just men and women who are making decisions about what ultimately ends up on the app store. And that's always going to be subject to a degree of subjectivity. And so the, there's never going to be consistency, like full consistency, and also just when you're talking about the scale that the app store operates at now <laughs> you know when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of apps it, it there there's going to be some some that that sneak through it's not it's not an it's not an excuse but it it's i mean it's just kind of it's just kind of the reality sure but yeah i i just don't know how all like
0: all the legitimate apps seem to get like swept up in the net, yet stuff like this can, can can still slide through. Because yeah, like the walled garden approach does like give some like tacit and implied um, valid, uh, legitimacy to most apps. So yeah, so that that is that is problematic. But I, I do recommend people read this um, this article that'll be linked into the show notes. It was actually a very interesting not investigation, but just kind of analysis of what, what the hell this is.
1: All right, cactus time yeah let's do
0: it all right so this this was a man this was a big week mike isaac could not catch a break (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so so the the holder uh investigation on on like workplace conduct and and culture and that kind of stuff came out and i think most of the news broke on sunday that they were having like this this like day-long meeting of figuring out like is um current CEO, Travis Kalanick, going to take a leave of absence for the company, um, do some of the more controversial executives need to go, particularly Emil Michael, who's been in uh, one of the main people involved in many of the scandals or the shadier stuff that Uber has done from a non-product standpoint. Um, So yeah, pretty much all of it blew
1: up this weekend. I mean, it it did, but I mean... I don't even know if blowing up is the phrase that I would use because to me this feels like more this is a way overdue next step in Uber's future. I mean, I've consistently said and, and will continue to say that essentially everyone across the executive team, specifically Kalanick, needs to go. There's just no way... There's no way that you can fully fix what's going on at Uber without getting to the core of the problem. And, you know, with with, with Kalanick, I mean, there, there's there's two things that could be happening here, both of which are bad. And I, I think I've gone through this same thought process before on the show where he could be just naive and not know that this this culture exists underneath him, or he can be the one that's actually stoking the flames around it. And he's and he and he's and he's clear. He's clearly the one who who's pushing this, and per, I, I, under either scenario, there'd be justifications for him to have to leave. But particularly under the latter, where he's the core of the problem, I mean, he's 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 simply got to go. I don't see I don't see any I don't see any valid argument to the contrary.
0: Oof, so I okay uh, earlier this week uh, in in an uh, in an online offline conversation online off the air conversation, I think I was making a pretty compelling point as to as to how because one one it's still a private company that's valued at sixty nine or seventy billion dollars privately, uh, it continues to ramp up its revenue growth at, at massive losses but whatever nobody cares about that, uh, he he is the hard charging type A frat bro uh, leader that most VCs would want and. The scandals and in workplace awfulness that they have doesn't extend to the product that much. And even though it's incredibly awful, and I think it's deplorable, and like would think like I, I, I would be regretful working there and that kind of stuff. Like I think to the people like uh, supplying the money, like they still want that hard charging leader in in that role because he has made them as successful as they have been. So I I just don't see where this switch has flipped where they need adult
1: leadership now. I hmm. I but see I I think you're looking at it very narrowly. Where if, if you're just looking at the top line, sure. If you want to be really cynical about it, then okay, then then you can make you can make an argument that well the the company financially has a bright future ahead of it that's getting brighter by the day. And so Kalanick should stay. I don't agree with that, but I think a lot of people would think that. Okay. Sure, sure. But I guess I I view companies far more holistically than that, where at the end of the day, financial results are king for, for most people. But there's so much more that companies need to be responsible for, namely their their people. And I mean and then ultimately, you know, I mean, taking care of your employees should not really be a dollars and cents decision. It's it's just the right thing to do socially. But even if you somehow want to connect it to your financials, I mean, over time, if Uber continues to have a culture like they currently have, it's going to be a, a huge talent drain I mean, it already is a huge distraction. I mean, think think about the hundreds of hours, I'm sure, thousands of hours of productivity that are being lost because employees have to think about this stuff and worry about how it's going to affect them and people who they care about. You know, it, ultimately, that stuff actually does damage the product and damages your financials. Again, that's very much secondary to the, the human component of it. So all along went way of saying that, I, I mean, I, I get we live in a, especially in this kind of tech bubble that, you know, we're in, you can, you can lose sight of people who don't want to think anything more about just the, the, the financials. But, I, but I, I really do think that companies stand for, for more than that and, and are held to standards that go outside of the income statement so
0: i agree with you but i guess what i'm saying is in this particular like region that has a very small group of of private investors and and vc funds and that kind of stuff that sees that 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 hangs their hat on the like the concept of 10x growth and just just getting as quickly to market as you can and move fast and break things and, and all all those bullshit terms I, I think there's a lot of wiggle room in in turning a blind eye to things that that aren't good. I think once the company IPOs and that kind of stuff, like there may be more of um, a call to action related to reforming the company. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and that is what I personally believe. But I just I don't think I see like the the immediate impetus for. I think he should go, but I don't think that it will actually happen for the reasons I've cited. Because it's like, you know, like, you know, like every like BS cop show from the 90s, where they're like, like, uh, he's a loose cannon, but he gets results. It seems like that kind of thing. Where for a very long time, people are going to uh, let something go or let somebody act erratically or or do things that aren't by the book, or are, are outright bad, because they're reaching a certain end and in a lot of ways I, like i think that's that's wrong and horrible but i think unfortunately that's a lot of the way it is even though it shouldn't be so that's where i'm more pessimistic that this will change because like it's just like so like i don't know man cuz like every time you see like you you see like some internal memo leak out or or some historical thing of like something awful uber's done you're like you're like yeah like this totally should change everything and this person is is unfit to lead and all this kind of stuff, but then you just you, then nothing actually ever really changes. So you you just get disillusioned a little bit. I don't know, maybe twenty seventeen like it's just it's it's messing with my brain where I I don't I might have lost my sense of moral indignation or, or feeling like any 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 uh, any appropriateness of in, in consequence actually matters anymore.
1: Yeah, no, that's that, that's a that's a really fair that's a really fair way to look at it. We 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 live in this time now where it's the does anything matter anymore kind of question.
0: Like with some, when 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 Billy Bush gets fired because some some orange man confesses to sexual assault and then becomes president, I don't know. Some pessimism seeps into your into your worldview.
1: Yeah, no, I that's that's fair. Also, um, <laughs> the only other thing about
0: this is it, it, you you saw the the controversy with the board member. Uh, yes, so. <laughs> So some some board member named uh, David Bonderman said during a conference call uh, after somebody suggesting there should be more uh, gender diversity on the board, uh, said there's a lot of data that shows when there's one woman on a board, it's much more likely that there will be a second—oh, no, wait, no, that's Ariana Huffington. Uh, she She's suggesting that when there's one woman on the board that more will follow, and that that's generally a positive thing for business. And then that board member who has since resigned uh, says actually what it shows, it's much more likely—there's uh, much more likely to be more talking. So on the day that they're supposed to have this big reset on uh transforming their culture in particular uh, like a culture of sexual harassment and rampant sexism in in the technology community, and particularly this company,
1: um I just oh my goodness. Well, I mean the the thing the thing to say though is he because of public pressure he did resign. So, you know. But
0: does he does he does he entirely lose his influence? That's that's the where the cynical part of me thinks like n- no. I mean, I would I would think so. Like, of course he loses his voting power or whatever. But again, like, uh, Kalanick has, uh, like, Uber has the board. Like, there was a good New York Times article about this, about uh, how, the like, the deck is stacked in favor of a founder-friendly, like, voting capacity where anybody who has, like, shares in the company is, like, bound to vote the way Travis does. So that keeps his uh, job security in, in, in check.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I mean, that also sort of goes back to my point that, Kalanick's got to go there's just there's no there's no way to solve the problem if he's still there
0: i agree man the alternative is to stop using uber but i i still don't think most people actually care enough well again like so in light of all of this is your behavior and only because i know you use it and i use uber like twice a year
1: so let me okay so let me let me publicly justify or try to give myself a justification for continuing to use uber proceed not every one of that company's a bad person. no work close to it i i It's very i mean I, I can't say I know a ton of people who work there, but I would guess that an overwhelming majority of the people there are nice, smart, hardworking people and I don't necessarily know that taking away business from those people because their leader's a jackass is necessarily the right thing to do.
0: But you don't think like a direct drop in revenue and, and, and greater customer attrition or, wait, I forget if it's the other one, but um, that would actually make a difference and then think like, oh, actually these PR uh, mistakes and, and, the comp- and the public's view of our company as being just a, a bastion of awfulness stemming from the top is actually affecting our bottom line. Because I assume that, like, because that is my thesis is that because it's been so successful so far that that has masked or um, mitigated most of, of a lot of serious problems that have been limited to a, just the internal population at Uber.
1: So that's probably true, but if there were to be a huge financial shift in the company, that's not just going to impact Kalanick. That's going to impact employees across the company, and that's what I'm saying. Well, but I, what,
0: Do you mean corporate employees or drivers? everybody. Well, I don't I don't think so though because then those people would just go and drive for Lyft because that's the thing that they're already doing because the, the, that's the tricky thing here is that the concept of ride sharing is like the genie or like the, it, it's a, whatever the expression is like it's out of the bottle. Like that is a service that people want. So other people will move to fill in that market need, whether that be Google self-driving cars, those drivers moving to Lyft and Lyft becoming a more important and, and widely used platform and that kind of stuff. So like the the demand just because people think like if people stop using uber that doesn't mean they're going to stop requesting transportation it just means they're going to choose it else to get it elsewhere so i don't think it necessarily disadvantages the drivers
1: well but maybe not. i'm not just talking about the drivers though but corporate employees well as but well. Then,
0: but then uber then lyft will have to staff up because they will have more people using that they'll need more support people they'll have more people using their application they'll need more engineering talent so you'll have like a mass exodus of people like like talent moves away as as there's a, a dying company like like happened with yahoo and in and, and a lot of other things
1: yahoo Yahoo's not a good example at all they're How laying so? off thousands of their employees as a result of being acquired but the top talent like i, I don't know i don't mm. know man i don't know they, that's the, i don't know what, what you're painting sounds great but that's okay too, y- too simplistic yahoo's
0: not okay fine but y- you know what i mean there's there's a better example there somewhere and somebody can write in and tell us <laughs> fair enough um. What? What else was there? There was one final thing. a typo on this. Um, no, I think that's about it. Yeah, I, I was. I don't know. Yeah, this. Uh, New York. The New York Times has been a very valuable uh, journalistic enterprise on a lot of fronts this year, and this is one of them. I agree. And also, amazing uh, kudos to Susan Fowler, who, because I, I remember that there was this one day where I just woke up and I saw on Twitter and that, like, there was this article that had just been posted and it's like there were only like a few likes on it. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting and, and disheartening story about Uber. And I would never have thought that that one well written, like, ex or like just recount of just a really shitty year at a company uh, with rampant sexism would actually have led to this. Because had she not written that, this would never have happened. So. Can we turn this around to brighter news? Sure. Taylor Swift's back on Spotify. She is, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is weird, or, th- or this, this is complicated. I don't know how much interest you have in this. But, like, because, well, she was actually on Apple Music the entire time, right? That That was her whole thing?
1: Yeah, like, she signed an exclusive deal, I think,
0: with Apple Music. So, do you think this only happens because 1989 is now like a two-year-old album and she'll probably revert back to not having things on streaming music once she has a new album or do you think this is kind of a, an actual change in in her thinking get get inside the head of one taylor taylor <laughs> b swift Oh uh, well she's i don't know she's
1: she's far she's far too cool for me to try to get inside the head of but um middle I, Allison, I guess I, apparently Okay. You were one letter off. Uh um I would like to think that this is a, a change in philosophy and that when her new album eventually comes out that it'll just be available across all streaming platforms. I, I think you you've heard a lot of of a lot of streaming services and even some of the record labels kind of hint at the idea that they think exclusives are not healthy for the industry. Um There's sort of this, I think, recognition that streaming is, as we've seen, like, seems like we've been talking a lot about on the show lately, but streaming is a, is a tough business and further kind of diminishing the value that some of these services offer because they lack certain particular popular artists or albums that that doesn't seem to be productive really for anyone, I guess, except for that artist in particular, maybe. Um, so I would hope that it's, it's a general change in philosophy, but we kind of just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it is interesting just cause there, there were, so it was her, Adele and a few others that have been very picky about the streaming part. And Adele has been extremely strategic about it. Like as like a single, like loses or like gets its couple of weeks of like, um, radio play that it will fairly quickly join streaming music services. But, um, you know the the whole streaming music and economics part always fascinates me and like you had the thing this this is only tangentially related but like netflix now has more active uh, subscribers in the us than than cable does i don't know things are
1: changing yeah they they, they are changing um but it, it, the other big point which i always try to bring up when talking about kind of the economics of streaming and of what artists choose to do I think it's it's important to have context around, you know, the idea of just being exclusive on Apple Music only works for someone like Taylor Swift, which represents a, I mean, in terms of revenue, represents a large percentage of of the pie. But, I mean, she's a single artist, and there's really only a handful of artists that are kind of at that same tier that she's at. But for the average working artists, it's it's hard to find any... Or come up with any scenario where trying to be exclusive to one streaming service is better than just trying to get your name out there everywhere across all the services so but but isn't that the thing where you
0: use the platforms and and their business model economics and to your advantage until you gain that level of power then you can dictate your own terms i guess but like i, I totally agree that there's only so many music artists or figures that that can even ever work for.
1: I guess what I what I'm trying to say is I just what like Taylor Swift has done is it, it hurts other parts of the industry cuz like think about it this way if you're if you're a band that just wants your name to be out there everywhere and wants wants to try to be introduced to as many new fans as possible and you know say that a lot of people discover you on a service like pandora or spotify and taylor swift is only on apple music well what what if some of her fans decide to cancel their pandora or spotify subscription and then only listen to apple music where maybe they don't discover your band so i i think it's i don't know i just i don't see how exclusives like this benefit anyone but the individual artists themselves which you know what power to them it's you know it's 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 a it's a free market. They can try to command as much money as they want, but I just think there has to be, and I and I think there is starting to be, just a, a general recognition that these exclusives aren't good for the industry as a whole.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, no, I think that's totally fair.
1: And I mean, I, I would balance it out by saying it's not necessarily Taylor Swift's job to make sure that smaller bands are making ends meet. I'm not really trying to suggest that, but... Sure. Taylor Swift's job is to take care of Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is. But, you know, I, I just I just think that in the long run and overall, it it probably is beneficial to everybody to have music be as available as possible. I'm just not really sure the industry in general is in a position to be able to command otherwise. Yeah, I, I think we're in for a, a
0: weird next five years of of the music industry and also consumers figuring out how to pay for content. It's, it's going to be bumpy, indeed. Yeah. All right, so let's 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 let's, let's throw you a, an ice cream cone. Let's let's let's, let's
1: <laughs> is that is that the uh, is that the expression?
0: No, I was going to, but bone seems impolite. So well, something happened with video games this week, and and this this is your thing. So let's. let's Did you not? You not? Know, you didn't want to summarize this? no Microsoft made a thing Sony probably has a thing and Nintendo doesn't have any games for the console is that the summary of the past 20 years
1: Uh, more or less I guess
0: yeah I'm gonna cede the floor to you for a little bit
1: okay so this is e e3 2017 this week down in down in LA Um, so the show so e3's been going through a lot of changes over the last decade where the show basically went away and and then it it kind of it came back in a small smaller capacity, and then now has kind of been ramping up back to where it was in its heyday in kind of the late nineties, early 2000s to the point now where this year the show not only is a trade show like it's been throughout throughout its entire history but now it's also open to the public this year. So they actually sold tickets, and there are some crazy pictures online about the lines to get in and and the crowdedness of some of the booths on the show floor. But it's it's kind of back to being this this big uh, this big spectacle again, uh, which now includes the public in addition to um, trade representatives, as it's, as it's been um, exclusive to in the past. So that's kind of like the kind of meta like show commentary, I guess, but. In terms of you know actual news, you know, the, the the big the big three are are you know doing what they do every year. The big three being Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, where they they all have press conferences before the actual show itself kicks off early in the week. So Microsoft had theirs on Sunday, Sony had theirs on Monday, and then Nintendo. It's not a formal press conference they do. It's they call it their Nintendo Direct, which is like a online stream that they do. Uh, They did that on Tuesday morning. So I guess maybe it's helpful just to kind of go through each one of those real quick, kind of call out some of the highlights. So with Microsoft, um, we got a a $50 price drop on the current Xbox One, which is the Xbox One S. Um, And then we got all the details on what was formerly called Project Scorpio, now formally known as the Xbox One X. Um, They... Teased this at E3 last year, I think in large part because Sony actually came out with the PlayStation 4 Pro last year, and Microsoft wanted to kind of put it out there that hey, you know, we're doing something like this too. Um, and it's it's exactly what you know you'd expect it to be. It's it's a more powerful Xbox, just like with the PlayStation 4 Pro. There's a a heavy focus on native 4K and HDR uh, capability. Um. The biggest news I think out of this actually has nothing to do with the hardware or the software. It's it's the price. So they they're putting this thing out at 4.99, which when you look at everything else that's out there on the market including the PlayStation 4 Pro which is 3.99, the Nintendo Switch which is 2.99, Microsoft's own Xbox One S which is now 250, dollars I, I think it's 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 just it's tough to tough to justify putting a console out there for 500 bucks so i I think it's it's a risky play for microsoft so so how how complete
0: is this because i remember when like if i recall correctly when the original xbox one came out like didn't wasn't it a hundred dollars more or more expensive than its competition because it had connect and like microsoft had like a really clear and and precise vision of what they thought the next gen of consoles was going to be but a lot of people decided they didn't actually want that
1: right this this generation's been like totally the opposite of the last generation where the 360 came out xbox 360 came out it was less expensive than the playstation 3 it was had it had a much clearer message you know the playstation 3 its big thing was it had this cell processor which was going to be this like next generation in in gaming CPU and ended up just being a complete nightmare for developers and made the box way too expensive and you know all, all these all these issues and and now this generation has been exactly the opposite where PlayStation 4 has been you know rock solid from day 1 and the Xbox has just had a bunch of message changing and price drops it's just been sort of a a kind of a big a big mess which is which is all the reason why you would think that when they came out with this new box they would have kind of learned from their recent mistakes and and been really aggressive with the price like coming into the show i actually thought they might they might try to go nuts and just put this thing out for like 349 or something and just really try to say like listen we've got a more powerful box because Nobody's nobody disputing that the xbox 1x is is clearly a superior box hardware wise but you know whether or not people are going to want to pay $100 more for that compared to like the playstation 4 pro i
0: i don't know yeah seems tricky so in in for the microsoft console specifically is is there gonna be a difference in games like is are there gonna be like xbox one s or like project scorpio
1: like exclusive titles or are they just gonna have better graphics no so that's so so this you know this is the first time that we've had sort of this mid-cycle upgrade And both Microsoft and Sony have been really, really upfront and careful with saying that, listen, we're not, we're not segregating the user base. We're not segregating our, our game libraries, everything that runs on these kind of like, you know, PlayStation 1.5 and Xbox one 1.5 boxes will continue to run on your existing hardware. That seems to
0: suck, and or that seems like that'd be a lot of work for developers, though.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 it it kind of it kind of puts developers in a in a kind of a, a bad spot too, where like, like they have they have to make sure they have to make sure a game is great for like the super
0: high end console, but like the actual vast majority of the install base is going to buy their game, they also have to do double the work
1: to make sure it's passable on that. Yeah, that and you know, from a like a consumer perspective, you also you know the consumers who spend all this money on these more powerful boxes. Kind of aren't really getting the full benefit because developers can't just solely focus on those and instead also have to support these these older boxes. So it's it, it it's tricky. It's no, you know, no way around it. Yeah. So that's 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 you know that's the Microsoft stuff. Um, Sony, Sony was you know they they did all their hardware stuff last year, so they they were really just game focused. So I don't I don't really know. There's a ton to talk about for us. Um. Yeah, with with Sony, uh, Sony, there's just there's not really a lot that's applicable. I think to to our show. Um. Well, so I,
0: so I, I I have a question. So what is what's the deal with Nintendo right now?
1: Well, so that's yeah. So that, that's what that's what I'll get into next. I think is is Nintendo. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're a big thing this year. Obviously, is the Switch. It's a, a huge success so far. People continue to be really into it um and they they they're all in on Super Mario Odyssey which is the the big new Mario game coming out this year it's people have been kind of comparing it to Super Mario 64 and it's it's general feel and layout it's something something new kind of crazy um and you know i i think it looks really really neat um and it so far has kind of seemed like it's been um kind of the star of star of e3 so far so i think you know nintendo's being nintendo they came out with a kind of far out there hardware platform that nobody else is really doing and they're leaning all the way into their existing uh characters and properties this is this is what nintendo's been doing for you know the last i mean certainly at least the last 10 years going back to the wii and you could argue going back further to like the Nintendo sixty four and its crazy controller and all that. Um, this is what Nintendo does, and they, you know, they make a lot of money doing it.
0: Well, so I'm I'm going to ask stuff that's that's not specific to what happened at E3, but like I, I, so the Switch has been out for like three months, and it seems like really, really like positively reviewed. And I've got like coworkers who have it, and and a lot of people who generally seem to have been down on the Wii U or would never have considered it are considering this console so like how are they how have they avoided the pitfalls of the Wii U or or how why is the switch a seeming success versus like what they've done in the past
1: well for one it's not called the Wii U, and i I say that somewhat in jest, but I say that also because there're legitimate market Confusion around the fact that it was called the Wii U, and people thinking that did they do they need to buy a Wii first in order for this thing to be compatible? Like it, that it was for a, college students. Yeah. yeah, that was a mess. Um, the The main gimmick of the Wii U, which was its kind of tablet controller, that just that just didn't really work. the It, it was too big. It didn't really function as a controller very well. The screen was a really low resolution developers really didn't take advantage of having that second screen well so so i guess that's my question because is, isn't that
0: what the switch is isn't it just the tablet part that can, can connect to a tv well but
1: there's with the tablet the thought was that the screen would sort of be complementary to whatever was on the tv there were some cases where well in all cases you could do this but this really wasn't like a huge point of emphasis where you could actually just play a game on the Wii U tablet controller. But that, but that, that's the main focus of the switch is that you can play games on your TV or you can play them on this tablet device. But then on top of having a much clearer focus, I mean, the the switch is overall a much more technically impressive system, not in terms of just like raw graphics power, but, you know, the screen on the device itself is really, really nice. People generally really like the controllers. Um, it seems like games, for the most part, are running just as well, both in docked mode and in handheld mode. So this, this the overall execution so far, seems to be a lot better than the Wii U. So is this a console where people are choosing this over
0: a PlayStation or Xbox, or is this uh, like a an impulse buy second console. Like do you think this is ever something that somebody's going to buy as their primary and only game uh like traditional gaming console?
1: Oh sure. Oh yeah. Particularly people I think with like younger kids, absolutely.
0: And is Mario Kart out yet?
1: Yeah. Is it good? Oh yeah. Mhm. And I think yeah, I mean I think that's the other story too is, you know, this system launched with Zelda. Which, they're they're, you know, the only Zelda game that came out for the Wii U, the only meaningful Zelda game that came out for the Wii U, was Breath of the Wild, which is this game for the Switch. They also um, have a version of it for the Wii U. So, you know, right out the gate, there was a big software draw. Then you've got Mario Kart, which is now already out. And then, again, people are just buzzing about this new Mario game. And, you know, the Wii U arguably never really had a great mario game either so even just from a software perspective the switch is at the end of this calendar year the switch may end up having more better first party games than the wii u did in its entire run so it's kind of just a little bit of everything that i think is resulting in the switch having a lot more success
0: cool i hope i hope the best for them
1: yeah i i you know, I'm not like I'm not desperate to go out and and get a switch, but oh, you still don't have one? No, hmm. they're like... hard to get. They're hard to get. Yeah, but you seem like the guy who, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the the days of the days of like, not even like. I mean, I, I never did the whole like camping out overnight thing, but even like. But I assume you could have just put a back order on something somewhere, and, and it just would have shown up. I mean, so is I mean, it... I could have. I mean, I sh- I could have thrown enough money at a bundle or something, or I, I could be sitting there at my desk like constantly refreshing these like inventory sites but eh, i i'm no hmm. i'd rather be developing 5k iMac budgets <laughs>
0: yeah so that's 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 uh, it's around out the e3 stuff that's that's what i was going to get get back to because uh, we forgot about this in the in the uh mac stuff thing is yeah like the the ipad pro is not the right product for you because because it's too too close to what you already have but you do really need to get on this and get, get a 5K iMac.
1: The longer you wait, the older the computer's going to be. I mean, yeah. I, 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 in addition to looking at the iPad in the store today, I, I looked at the iMac and yeah, it, it, it continues to be great. You, you got to do it,
0: man. Yeah, well, we'll see. Think of how quick and fast and, and efficient it'll be to edit these things on, on that computer.
1: It's true. It's true.
0: I do it team 5k all right <laughs> that was and, and and i sent you this earlier in the week but th- that is legitimately one of the funniest jokes that they've ever had at a wwdc was i forget who was doing the presentation but they showed how do you do apple pay on a mac and they showed some lady um uh hauling her 27 inch mac and trying to to pay with it and at a at a angry looking barista so that that was i forget who it was but that that is the funniest thing they've ever done
1: yeah it's pretty good yeah
0: all right, so to round this out before we get to uh, Better Call Saul, which is a pretty good episode this week. Um, so Apple, as a, in uh, a session on podcasting at WWDC, talked about uh, how in iOS 11, in a redesigned podcast app uh, on the phone, they are going to do for the first time uh, rudimentary and like basic podcast analytics for publishers. And what this means is that... Uh, the creator of a podcast will know, uh, how quickly somebody actually plays and listens to an episode that they've downloaded. They'll know how much of the episode they listened to, maybe when they stopped listening and, um, what parts they skipped. And of course, Apple's going to do their best to anonymize everything and protect user privacy, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I think this is surprisingly interesting for an industry where it's like, oh, podcasts is is the new hot thing, and and it's it's and you have these kind of like um, mini like lightning in a bottle things where like Serial uh, and S Town and and um, some of the Gimlet shows have attracted a ton of attention and and are getting really popular. Where it's it's legitimizing the medium, and and I assume big money will eventually be coming into into podcasting soon and most most big money advertisers kind of unless they're going for just generic brand advertising don't really aren't really just going to go based off downloads where they have no real measure of the effectiveness of ads whether or not they're getting meaningful data out of that i just assume most people won't won't do it so i think this is kind of an interesting first step and has a couple of interesting side a couple of interesting externalities I, I want to know what, what's, your, what's your take
1: on this? I think we it, it really have to take a kind of wait-and-see sort of approach. You know, I think maybe let's just put out like the two ends of the spectrum here. So at, at the positive end, having this additional data will entice bigger advertisers to feel comfortable advertising on podcasts, which brings more money into the podcast ecosystem, which then allows there to be even more and even better podcasts out there for listeners like you and me. That would be great. And that would be the kind of ideal outcome from something like this. The negative side would be podcasts become the web, where with all this data, companies use the data to come up with new and obnoxious ways to advertise to listeners, you know. Maybe they get start getting data into how many users skip ads and they they try to come up with ways to make it so that ads are kind of like unskippable or in some other way, just generally obnoxious. So, you know, I, I think we just have to wait and see, see how podcasters and see how advertisers ultimately use this data. It could be a really good thing for the industry. Could be a not so great thing. We just have to have to see.
0: I mean, maybe um I don't really see that future panning out cuz even if they find that podcast ads are maybe less effective than they want I really don't like that nobody has stopped advertising on television they just made it so that now maybe there's more um like product placement and that kind of stuff so and, and i think a lot of that that's one of the big benefits of where why people think maybe uh, podcasting is a more intimate medium and where maybe the ad reads or maybe they feel less like commercials and more woven into the actual content of the show so i, I really don't think that's going to change all that much um but i mean yeah like i i i do i mean I, I agree there could be a way that this turns out badly but i i'm not sure i think for the most part, this does do some good at at making this a more viable medium because, like it, it this just seems like something that does have to exist, and somebody's going to do it. And it's probably better that it's Apple versus Stitcher or one of those other crappy companies. The one, the one, uh, only point that I thought was interesting about this that that I I was wondering about is that I think this is one thing that will give like a huge incentive for podcast creators and publishers to push people to use um or to to strongly cajole their audience to listen through the iTunes app or, or through the podcast app because they want those analytics. So they're probably not going to do those things where find us on Google Play, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. No, they're going to say go to the Apple Podcast Store. Mm. Because like I assume other people are going to try to do this, but once you have a bunch of disparate data. I don't really know how you how you aggregate that kind of stuff and 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 get a, a useful data set from it, right? Yeah. So that and that's one thing. Consolidation is probably going to happen. So I wonder what happens to because because I, I assume Overcast and that kind of stuff still stays the thing. Because I don't I don't think Apple has any vested interest in disrupting the way the simple way that podcasts work. But
1: yeah, fair fair observation.
0: Yeah. All right. Round this out with Better Call Saul. Let's do it. You watched it. I did. Yeah. So does this mean that the that Nacho's plan was not effective? Or he d did, just didn't have a serious enough episode
1: for it to be necessary? I assume that. So I think next week's the finale, right? I think so. So I assume that we'll we'll get some more information on that. Um it, it there's there's so many ways it could go. It could be where Hector switched the pills back. Like he somehow became aware. It could be that he just kind of got lucky and that he was able to kind of get through his episode without the medication and that maybe it'll happen again and he won't be so lucky. I I don't know that that could go, that could go anywhere. Um, but yeah, that, that, that scene where he kind of had his heart issue and then ended up taking the pill that, that was not where I thought that was going. And I thought that it was kind of like, it was sort of a perfect moment for his transformation to happen because, you know, he had just gotten the news that he was going to have to use, now it's my turn to forget a character's name. Mr. Gus Fring. Gus Fring, thank you. Um, He was going to have to use his network on a full-time basis going forward, which kind of made him feel marginalized. So I thought like tying in his disability, which we know it um in Breaking Bad into that moment would have been kind of effective. So I was I was surprised with the direction that it went. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a really good scene. And
0: 'cause it and that is part of the tension where you you, you assume like oh, well here's the payoff for all that stuff that we saw. And it and it did seem like it was sooner than you might have thought that storyline would would have wrapped up, but no, it, it was it was it was super
1: interesting and, and very very tense. Well oh, and that's that's an amazing thing that the show does is we we know how it ends, but they just they build so much tension and not knowing exactly how we get there. Yeah. And that, that's a that's a that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to pull off.
0: Yeah. Um so so that that was great. Also, like there was pretty pretty strong like I think it was a classic uh Jimmy McGill stuff. Which which I really like to return to because even like I I know this the whole thing is that how's he how's he become so good but I still like the thing where he's doing only like quasi sketchy lawyering so I mean all the stuff related to Sandpiper Castle or Village whatever it was um, I I thought that was all really good I do feel really really sad for Irene the. Um, lead plaintiff or whatever oh, on the wine i know i know he, yeah. uh, he he gave her shoes and he took advantage of her and that was that was not yeah not, not very nice but um but it, but it was it was all fun and, and i and i really liked the, the, the store-bought cookie thing i don't know i that 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 just it's pretty good um yeah so that that stuff was great and seeing him um on, i'm gonna forget his name again Who who's uh, of of hhm who's who's the the main young guy i always forget his name howard Howard, okay, yeah, yeah, it's always Howard, Howard and Chuck. Uh, that <laughs> that stuff was, oh man, that was really good because one, he he saw right through Jimmy's whole ruse, real real quickly to just to find out that he just wanted his own payday, but also kind of bit him in the ass about the, uh, trying to force uh, Chuck out of the law firm. Like that, that stuff. Like I don't know, that's just kind of the season one, season two stuff that was just really, really, really interesting. That that I that I do like more so than the kind of super. Down down in the weeds, sketchy Saul Goodman stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing that they've been able to create almost this like second character.
0: Yeah, and then when when he was about to do the um, the the high speed mall walking thing, I was like, are they doing a middle of the episode like flashback to current day?
1: I had the same thought, and I was like,
0: this that's really weird. But then I'm like, no, like because they always do like a certain type of um. Like color aesthetic. Whenever they do those right. flashbacks, it's not like all black and white. I, I think they've done a couple of color ones, but I was like, "This is so weird to have this in the middle of the episode." And then, I'm like now, there's something else going on. And the the other touch where where he bought the, to make his plot work, he bought like 11 pairs of shoes in every <laughs> size
1: possible. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's good stuff. And then you know, obviously the the stuff with Kim. So she she oh, takes yeah. on um a second client and. She's you know first she gets stuck in the dirt trying to drive away from the oil rig, and then she ends up getting uh, pressed for time going to her big presentation. The, um, there's some allusion to the fact that she hasn't slept in a night or two, and I, I guess the the in, the implication at the end of the episode is she ends up I guess falling asleep right for a, a brief moment at the wheel.
0: Yeah, it it did not look like she was in a car accident. It Looks like she just there was a sharp turn that came up and she just yeah veered off the road and yeah. right
1: and so she's she's in a car also, accident. also spoilers sorry what do you mean no to to alerting people listening. oh oh, oh. <laughs> um yeah we'll we'll put the spoiler horn in there um for a brief moment i thought oh my god they're gonna kill kim no no it, it, the thought crossed my mind but then i thought i, I no, wouldn't put it past vince
0: but we're we're on first name basis, but I wouldn't put it put it past him. But she's too important, and also she's really important in driving the story along, both on her end and uh, on Jimmy's end. So they can't yet. Yeah, but no, that was because here's the, and also when when like she was like when she was late to the client. I'm like I'm like I know how this ends. Like I I I knew it, but
1: I I it it was still kind of a shock. Yeah, really really good episode. Another episode just like last week that kind of touches on all of the characters which i i tend to like those episodes a little bit better
0: yeah and and then also to, to round it out uh mike um uh doing the money laundering thing with uh stevia lady uh-huh. um from magical lecture i always forget her name um yeah that, that is man that was really good mm-hmm. yeah and also her way of framing who gus was i forgot her exact words like because because uh mike just says like why are you doing this for just some drug dealer and she's like oh you have like like a low opinion like or that he's much more than that i forget what the wording was
1: yeah but... something like that really good yep yeah
0: all right one more episode it's gonna suck is it like because don't they go 12 to 18 months between seasons yeah they do yeah
1: all right in that case what do you got for picks of the week so this week, I've got uh, something that we've been chatting a little bit um, off the air about, um, which is the SeatGeek app. So you, you know, if you listened to any podcast in the last three four months, you've probably heard a SeatGeek ad, especially if you've been listening to any um, Ringer podcasts. Um, mentioned that I went to the Giants game this last last week, first game of the season, and it was also my first time using the SeatGeek app, and it's it's really good. It's um it's it's really simple. They have a great uh, rating system that'll tell you kind of on a scale of zero to a hundred how good of a deal um the service thinks the ticket price is. So you, you kind of get a little bit of a, a sense of whether you know you're getting a good deal or not. Um, you know the tickets are delivered right to you within the app. So like going to this Giants game, you know we bought the tickets on our phone tickets just got stored right there in the app just simply showed you know the barcode as we walked into at&t park um so overall really really easy and you know kind of the way that just ticket buying should be i don't want any more paper or any any you know have it have tickets mailed or whatever um the the kind of the the seat geek like experience which has been around for a long time with StubHub and whatever um is definitely the way that way that tickets should be so, do you
0: have any like competitive like thing between like, do, are you aware that's better than StubHub or it's just kind of that's what Bill Simmons has <laughs> been advertising and, and that's the name that stuck with you? Yeah. I mean, they both it, do it, the same thing pretty much. They right? both
1: basically do the same thing. And I we, generally, when I'm shopping for um, concerts or sporting events now, I, I usually just check them, check them both. You know, I don't really have like an allegiance to one or the other. It's just whoever ends up having the better deal got it the one the one thing that i i don't love about SeatGeek is they don't tell you your exact seat numbers Hmm. at least not for all events they'll tell you the row and they'll guarantee that your tickets if you're buying more than one are together but they won't specify the exact seat number which in, in some situations won't really matter but for other situations, that that does make a a more significant difference. Like for the you know for the baseball game, no big deal. Sure, sure.
0: Um, and then my pick of the week. I I actually kind of have a secret pick of the week that I can't reveal until next week. So that means this this uh, this week's is gonna be kind of a cop out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Monument Valley 2 if I didn't already pick that last week.
1: I I don't think you did. No.
0: Yeah. So that's the uh, second. That's the follow up version of Monument Valley, which is one of the best games ever. It's just it's it's like an M.C. Escher style like perspective and and geometry puzzler thing that's just absolutely beautiful. And during WWDC's uh, like App Store revamp thing, they actually um, did with Apple like that was when they announced and launched their new their new version, which is actually pretty cool that they that that managed to work out. It um, actually went live like in the middle of the keynote, which is cool. But no, it, it's it's just as beautiful as the first. It's um, a little bit more realistic, which is a different direction. But it's it's a super fun game that's not that difficult and is just really fun. So I would strongly recommend the five dollars. It's it's a it's a very like just it's it's a beautiful game.
1: Very good. We've got a, a review from Polygon in the show notes, and I, I think all the review all all the other all the reviews I've seen have been um, been really positive. Yeah. All right. Until next week. Yes, sir.